grab your Bible, grab your Bible, whether it's digital or old-fashioned or you got a combination of both, grab your Bible, and I want you to uh, turn over with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to cover a bunch of different passages tonight, but we're not going to cover them all at once like we have been doing. We're going to go to uh, these individually tonight, and I pray that the Lord would, would speak to our hearts. Isaiah 53, we're going to start with two verses, verse 4 and verse 5. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 say this, Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, let, let a spirit of revelation uh, sweep across this room. Lord, tonight, it's no good to have doctrine without experience. So I'm asking you to confirm your word, Lord, with signs that only you can accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, everybody. As I said, if you're watching online, we're so happy you are. We wish you were here. But tonight, we're going to continue our We Believe series. I've got something I've been stewing on and praying about uh, over... Uh, the next month or so when we get through this we'll be through this actually before we know it it'll go pretty quick from here uh, even though we're on fundamental truth 11 we've got a couple that I'm going to put together that uh, it'll make sense to you uh, tonight we're on week number 11 or truth number 11 I think because we combined the baptism of the Holy Spirit and communion week this is actually week number nine if you want to be technical but it's uh, fundamental truth number 11 tonight uh, on the subject of divine healing I want to tell you that over the last several months, we've been looking at our doctrine, what we believe as a church, um, what we believe as Christians according to the Word of God. And uh, I hope that things concerning baptism, communion, salvation, the church, its mission, its ministry, I hope sanctification, even holy living, that you take some of that and you actually go home and you go back and you study over it and really grasp and understand what it is that we believe because it's so important for us to know not just what we believe but why we believe it and so I hope you do that uh, as I mentioned tonight we're going to look at uh, the subject of divine healing and here is fundamental truth number 11 as we've done week after week I want to read this together and I want you to hear this with the ears of your heart now I want to pause before I read it and I want to tell you this the assemblies of God started Back in, uh, at the turn of the Azusa Street Revival is when we, our flame was ignited. We officially founded in 1914, okay? 1914. But this movement started out of Azusa Street, the great revival. In that revival, there were signs, wonders, miracles. People were being healed, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Powerful, powerful, powerful displays of power among God's people. When our forefathers gathered on Central Avenue now what's Central Avenue uh, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they formed the very first General Council of the Assemblies of God, you need to understand what they meant whenever they formed this founding document we know as the 16 Fundamental Truths. Okay, These were people who came out of the fire, spiritual fire, seeing God do great things. Here's what they said in Fundamental Truth number 11. Divine healing is an integral part of the gospel. 
Deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement and is the privilege of all believers. That is what our forefathers penned to paper by moving upon the Holy Spirit, searching the Scripture, and understanding after seeing signs and wonders and miracles and those types of things, we see what God uh, intended for them to write was this, on the subject of divine healing. Because if you take a paramount view of Scripture and you look from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is undeniable what God feels and what He's established in the Word as it relates to divine healing. This is a subject I'm passionate about. Uh, in my uh, little over five years here now, I have tackled this in series. I have preached it. We have prayed for people. We have demonstrated it. We have done everything but stand on our heads to let you understand that this is what we believe. It is so important. Now tonight, as we get into this, I, I, I feel impressed in my heart, my spirit tonight to just simply say emphatically that it, it's one thing to have doctrine but it's another thing to have experience. And um, if you were to go back into the early days of our movement, you would see posters, and you can go on Google. These are not secret. They're not in a secret archive buried under somewhere in a secret chamber. You can go find these. Uh, it would not be uncommon to find revival posters of Assemblies of God churches that say the gospel will be preached Bring the sick, bring the blind, bring the lame, and God will move. Post it out there for everybody to see. Oftentimes in the newspaper. You know what would happen? People would show up, they would be lost, they would get saved, and they would get healed. Amen. Isn't it interesting that what you believe for happens? You just believe the simple gospel, and whatever, for, for whatever reason, we've, we've become very sophisticated in our day. Our early founders, they didn't have a lot of money. They, they didn't have good churches. In fact, they were on the poor side of town, the wrong side of the tracks. And, and they didn't have anything but the blood of Jesus and faith in God. And, and um, they, they were just simple people who believed the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And somehow along, along the way, we got a little bit more money, became a little bit more sophisticated. And, and now, uh, you really... Don't, don't see in the American church, at least, a lot of what we would call miracles. Now, we can sit here and ask the question why that is. There's a bunch of reasons why that is. Uh, there's one reason why it is not, though. It's not because God has changed. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can take you places where you would see crazy things happen. You ask the question, it's very valid. Pastor, how come we don't see that type of stuff? I can tell you why. Because in the days of Azusa Street, when, when the supernatural things happened and people were healed, people rejoiced and celebrated. They, they saw it with their own eyes. They, they saw it. They believed God. They rejoiced. Do you know there's a major move of God happening in the Assemblies of God right now at one of our largest churches in Springfield, Missouri? And people are being healed and delivered and set free. You know who the biggest critics of it are? other assemblies of God people you know why because the people God are using are not our flavor they're not our brand but can I tell you something God's got a big old kingdom and he's got a big old tent and guess what if people are being saved and healed and delivered and it's not out there stuff and it's the word of God we need to celebrate amen because here's the thing the biggest 
critics of, of, of miracles and healings always come from people who don't experience them. So, I don't know why I said all that. Maybe, surely not for anybody in this room, but uh, it's simply true. But when we look from Scripture, we see the manifestation of God being healer. And listen, aside from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is our main doctrine that we're fought on, tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. People say things like, well, God doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't heal anymore. That's why we have doctors. And listen, we believe in doctors. Luke was a physician. Paul mentioned for Timothy to have just a little bit of medicine for his stomach's sake. The scripture does not contradict medicine or say not to do medicine. So please don't email or throw stones and say, Pastor Brad said we don't believe in doctors. Nope, that's not what I said at all. Um, What I did say, however, is that doctors practice medicine. Jesus perfected medicine. Amen? Listen, uh, everything God does is perfect. If there's side effects to it, come on. That's not... We thank God for mercy. We thank God for grace. But at the end of the day, when Jesus does it, he does it right. And so, uh, I want to just look at this tonight. And I want to give you some some understanding. I'm going to give you a brief history and background. Uh, I'm really going to cover a lot of stuff tonight. Why do we believe in healing? Why do we believe in healing? Well, let me tell you. First of all, our beliefs should never solely be based off of our experience. A lot of people say, well, I've never seen a million dollars. Well, that doesn't mean a million dollars is not real. Amen? You've never seen your brain either outside of an x-ray or MRI, and I hope it's there. Amen? Some people, it may be questionable, but amen. We live in a society where people are so open-minded, their brain is falling out. Amen? I don't know how they move sometimes with some of the crazy thoughts that they have. But the truth is, is that it, our foundation comes from the Word of God. And I want to I give you some things. First of all, we know at creation, God created Adam and Eve perfectly, right? There was no sin or anything like that. They were perfect. They had unbroken fellowship with God. They, they were living eternally in the garden in the presence of God. Uh, sin came along through transgression. Man uh, died not only spiritually but physically. The death clock began to tick. And in Adam and Eve's day, they lived a long time. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it took time for the lifespan to kind of shorten. But people lived for a long time back in those days. One theologian said because they had to figure out how to die. They'd never died before. Their body wasn't made to die. But what happens is is that they begin to die. And then the children of Israel come through Abraham's uh, covenant. And God gives him a promise, and the children of Israel uh, are in Egyptian slavery. Uh, they're there for uh, a long, long, long time. And uh, God smites the Egyptians with all types of plagues and things because they were disobedient. There were the ten plagues of Egypt. And anyway, you know the story. If you don't, let me just tell you. God raises up Moses. He says, let my people go. And, and here they come out of the Egyptian bondage out of this place into the wilderness. And they're in the wilderness and they're trying to go to the promised land and they, they run after this, that, and the other obstacles. Pharaoh's armies chasing behind them. God supernaturally parts the Red Sea. Then they start complaining about, about not having any food and they were tired of eating the manna and God sent them some quail. And, uh, and then they were, they were thirsty and God told Moses, speak to the rock, and he, he got mad at the rock, and so he hit the rock. Anybody ever done that before? 
come on, maybe not to a rock, but to another situation. You're supposed to speak to it and you hit it. Well, he got in trouble and he didn't inherit the full blessing, but that's beside the point. But in all of that, they came to a, a place where there were some bitter waters and the Lord healed the waters. And it was revealed in that place, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. And he says, I will put none of the diseases upon you that I put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. And there was a covenant that was made with the children of Israel. God revealed himself as Israel's great physician. And, and so we see that all throughout the, the Old Testament. God revealed himself that way. That was an Old Testament, Old Covenant promise, right? So we see healing in the Old Testament. And then we get to our text, which is Isaiah 53. And the prophet looks down through the lens of prophecy and he sees the Messiah suffering on cross. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, 1 through 3, starts talking about how Jesus looked and how it was like nobody would desire him. Of course, Scripture goes on to tell us that his beard was ripped out by the roots and they beat him with a cat of nine tails. His insides were literally showing. He was given so many lashes and all of those things. And then Isaiah goes on, and what does he say? He was wounded for, he carried our griefs and our sorrows. Interesting enough, the word grief there and the word sorrow are both attached to mental anguish or pain. So Jesus uh, carried our mental sorrow and grief. And it says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But then he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah seeing this before it ever happened, right? So we've got this Old Testament God, the Father, who gives Israel a covenant of healing. And listen, he, he meant it. Now, anybody ever watch Charlton Heston's version of the Ten Commandments? Okay? This is why you can't get your theology from Hollywood. Even if they're TBN movies. You can't get your, your theology from Hollywood. You get it from where? You get it from the Word. Okay? Charlton Heston had Grandma and Grandpa coming out on stretchers, and people were carrying them out of, the, out of Egyptian bondage, and they were just trying to get through, you know? But that's not how God brought them out of Egypt. In fact, the Scripture tells us pretty plainly in Psalm 105, verse 37, it says, And He brought them out with silver and gold. When they came out of Egypt, they were prosperous. When they went in, they were slaves. Everything took, took, was taken from them, but when God delivered them, there was a measure of blessing that was on their life when they came out. Do you know that that is a common theme, by the way, in Scripture? Every time the children of Israel overtook an enemy, God blessed them with their, the treasures and their spoils and the silver and the gold. That's what the Scripture means truly when it says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribe. You know what that means? That means grandma wasn't hobbling out of Egypt. You know why? Because they ate the lamb. They ate the flesh of the perfect lamb. The blood was applied, caused the death angel to pass over, and they ate the blood. See, this is why you can't just take your cracker and drink your juice and, and, and run past communion like it's just a ritual. Okay? There's power in it. Not in the elements, but in what they represent. It's a point of contact. That's 
why we used to have these big tables in the front, right? I'm, it said, do this in remembrance of me. Because we're supposed to be remembering about what we're doing, honoring the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Okay? So, so the prophet looks down the lens of time and he sees this suffering Messiah on the cross that is wounded, totally in disregard. And he is, uh, has lashes all over him. And he makes this statement, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, we can pause right there and clap our hands. We can go home because that's great right there. But that wasn't just a prophecy. It actually happened. You see, um, when Jesus came on the scene after his baptism, you know, uh, the Bible says the Spirit of God descended on Jesus and stayed on him in the form like in the likeness of a dove. Not as a dove, but like a dove descended upon Jesus. Acts 10.38 tells us what happened. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And from this point, from Jesus' baptism, through the wilderness and on the other side, what you see is you see three things happening in Jesus' ministry. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, expelling the, the demons, the darkness, and healing the sick. Three things you see in Jesus' ministry. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing the sick. And he was casting out devils. He was uh, pushing back on the forces of darkness. And so what I want you to see is that physical healing. Somebody say physical healing. It's important to make the distinction because I'm going to tie it back in a second. Physical healing was a major part of Jesus' ministry. The Bible says he went, out, he went everywhere from village to village and synagogue to synagogue and in the streets teaching and healing, pointing to who he was. Now, again, I like study helps. I like research. I like books. I have a whole library full of books here and at home and in my upstairs office at home. I love books. In fact, I just tell you, no, no slight to anybody who likes to read on Kindle or anything like that. But I, I do sometimes, but I still like an old-fashioned, I can write in it book. Okay? Just something about holding it and, and whatnot. So, um, I've got several, several things that I like to study and read when I'm getting to interesting passages. And uh, there's one particular commentary set that I read. And... Um, the guy is great, but he's not, he's not a Pentecostal. He's a, a more of a mainline denomination. And he's, he's a well-sought-after theologian. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Even, even scholars and theologians are not infallible. Because you don't get your the, theology from Hollywood movies. You also shouldn't get your theology from somebody who has a bunch of degrees behind their name. Because you can have a bunch of degrees behind your name. And I believe in education. You can have a bunch of degrees behind your name and be colder than an iceberg, thermometer-wise. So why am I telling you that? Because in one of my commentaries, when you go back and you read Isaiah 50, 53 in the commentary, this minister says that many in the body of Christ have used this passage to preach the doctrine of divine or physical or faith healing, however you want to say it, and they said... This passage is not about divine or physical healing. 
that Isaiah never meant to imply that and that good hermeneutical evidence does not support the fact that that scripture is about divine healing. And so they said this scripture is about salvation, physical healing, or, or, or spiritual healing, sorry. Now for most people who don't do good study, they may sound good and they may say, well, I trust this guy because he's got a lot of good degrees behind his name. He says Isaiah 53 is not about physical healing, it's about spiritual healing. But the only problem with that is that one of the keys to biblical interpretation is Scripture interprets Scripture. So let's look at our next passage. In, Isaiah, uh, in a Matthew chapter 8, which will be on the screen for you, verse 14, it says, Now when he had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And when he touched her hand, the fever left her. She arose and she served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So let me ask you the question, is the interpretation about spiritual healing or physical healing? Isaiah was referring to uh, 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 mental healing, but he was also referring to physical healing as testified by Jesus in this passage. Amen? So we've got to see that. Jesus' ministry was a healing. But we could even stop there and be like, that's great. But it goes further. Jesus even included healing in the Great Commission. In Mark 16, verse 15, down through verse 18, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe shall be condemned. And these signs will follow them in my name that believe. Then they, in my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. He says, uh, They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Why did Jesus include that in there? If he didn't expect us to do it. Amen? Well, there are three things. We could just really rejoice and we could go home right there. But it doesn't even stop there. uh, Because healing was also put into the gifts of the Spirit. That the Holy Spirit left the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Gifts of healings. So we see here, people say, well, I just don't think all of that is for today. Well, the Bible had a whole lot of space to tell us it wasn't. And it never said it. It never said it. Well, then people have the theological arguments. Well, well, I prayed for so-and-so, and they weren't healed. Why did that not happen? Well, I I I got an answer for you. I don't know. I've preached to a lot of people who didn't get saved either. I don't know. I can't allow what I don't know about God to hinder what I do. And the example that I have in Scripture is to pray for the sick and to believe. Now, I can get into a theological teaching tonight on why the sick aren't healed, and there are many reasons. 
Now, you don't ever see Jesus ministering to people in this way, but there are lots of reasons. Um, um, un- unrepentant sin can be a reason. Unbelief can be a reason. Although I don't believe in praying for somebody, and then when they don't get healed, you say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Even though that may true be true, because James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he receive anything from the Lord. I would never tell somebody that because to me that's like victim shaming. You know, you don't kick somebody when they're down. You just help keep encouraging them. But there are lots of reasons. There are lots of reasons. And, you know, at the end of the day, Lazarus was raised from the dead and he still died. The apostles who did miracles, they all died, right? So, so, so miracles are not to extend our lives into a perfect immortal body that we never die in that sense, but they are to point to Jesus. They're to point to Jesus, right? And so we've heard people say when we, they've been healed before, and I don't mean to be insensitive to anybody, but, but people that we prayed for, and they said, well, they got their healing in heaven. No, their spirit was never sick. Healing is with the physical man, right? Our spirit man is what's born again. Now, our emotion, our mind, that, that needs to be transformed. But the truth is, is that that healing happens. See, it's this flesh right here that needs to be healed. Our spiritual man is so strong. That's why when a person uh, dies in the Lord, even if they die with, with illness or whatever that might be, when they step into the presence of the Lord, they are not sick. Because they're not going into eternity with that body they left the earth with. Amen. Are you with me? All right. So, I don't want to get bogged down too much there. But what I'm trying to show you is that that healing is in the scripture. And this is why we believe this. Okay? Because some of you, undoubtedly, somebody's going to say to you one day. They probably have. If not, they will. uh, Do you go to that church that believes in praying for the sick? And, and you need to unashamedly say, yes. Okay? So, I want to walk through these things with you uh, tonight. And I want to show you a couple of things. First, the first one, number one, about Jesus. Number one, he healed on a personal level. There are some people who are not a proponent of, of healing. They would say, well, Jesus never healed somebody just to heal them. He only healed them uh, in a crowd or something like that to get people's greater attention. That's not true. Peter's mother-in-law was at her deathbed. And what happened? Jesus walked right into their house. Now listen, Peter was a believer. People say, well, healing is only for the unbelievers. No, the Bible says healing is the children's bread. That's what it says. But see, he walked right into Peter's mother-in-law's house. Peter, Peter might have had a mother-in-law room on his house, I guess, however you want to see that. But she, she was sick, and Jesus came right in, touched her, and the fever left her, and she got up. And th- uh, this particular uh, book doesn't say it, but another gospel does. says she got up and cooked them fish. She was healed and got up and cooked them dinner. And then Jesus went out and began to demonstrate his power. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons Jesus heals is because of compassion. He heals because of compassion. In fact, if you want to see a great element of why God moved in the scripture, you just look. The Bible says when he observed the people, he was moved with compassion. 
Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I can point you to several people. John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, Maria Woodworth Etter. I can point you to a lot of people who God used in their life to pray for the sick. And they will all point you back to this one thing. They began to pray for people because many in their family were sick. John G. Lake, his testimony was all his family were dying of illness and he got tired of them dying so he started praying and started studying the scripture and and because of his compassion on hurting people God birthed a whole healing ministry out of John G. Lake's life. Smith Bigglesworth the same way he was an illiterate plumber he couldn't read his wife was the Christian she was uh, ministering with the Salvation Army and he got involved and and anyway Smith began to pray for the sick and he really struggled when he saw people hurting you know compassion is a powerful thing compassion moves you compassion moves us to give money to people who are hurting compassion moves us to volunteer our time when we see somebody is struggling compassion moves the heart of God faith and compassion Jesus healed on a personal level number two Jesus also healed on a corporate level he often did public healings after he would preach. And often in these settings, these were unbelievers. And they could not argue with the fact of what God had done. And so what happens was, Jesus got out on the seaside and began to preach. And they began to bring him those who were sick. And, and he began to pray for them. And they were healed. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Those unbelievers oftentimes became believers, and Jesus did that for this reason, so that they would see and know that he is God. So that's one of the reasons why healing is important. Do you know you had a bunch of, uh, you know if we had a bunch of uh, cynics and backsliders and people who were self-expressed uh, atheists and agnostics. You know, that's a trend today. Young people, it's a buzzword. I'm, a, I'm an atheist. Uh, one, of my, one of my kids, friends at school, or not friends, but classmates at school, said, I'm an atheist. And then she turned around and said something about the devil. And he said, well, how are you going to believe in the devil if you don't believe in God? Hello. It's a buzzword. The kids don't know what they're talking about. They hear something on TV or whatever. But can you imagine having a room full of atheists? A room full of self-imposed agnostics and unbelievers and backsliders and in walks in a, a really blind person everybody in the community knows they're blind and God opens up their eyes? You would not you would, you would have to fight for a seat. T.L. Osborne said healing is the dinner bell of the gospel. Jesus healed and it drew people to, to him. He pointed them to the Father. So he healed on a personal level. He healed on a corporate level. But also, 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 his healing pointed to the finished work. The writer let us know that Jesus did those things so that it might be fulfilled of what the prophet said. Jesus is always pointing in the right direction. See, these miracles that Jesus did, particularly in, in Matthew 8, 
Turn over there with me one more time. We have a few moments. Verse number 16 says, And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Right? Then, I want you to notice this. That happened before the cross. Jesus is, is, is referencing an Old Testament prophetic scripture about what has not even happened yet. He's still looking back here because the cross hadn't happened yet. I like to tell people this, everything Jesus is doing at this moment, now this is probably not theologically correct, so don't, don't quote me on this because Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. But as referring to the new covenant, everything Jesus was doing here, pointing to the cross, he was doing on credit. He was showing them what was to come, right? And so get this, Jesus is, is doing that. But then... We see something else. See, in, in our text, I want to pull up the scripture here. You got your Bible, open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, Peter makes an interesting analogy. And I've not heard a lot of people draw this conclusion. But if you take all of the passage, it makes sense. So Peter, in his epistle, he's talking about suffering in regards to being persecuted. And Jesus was indeed the poster child of persecution in fact when Jesus was persecuted for the gospel's sake on the cross one of the things that Isaiah 53 said was like a lamb led to the slaughter he, he didn't open his mouth okay and what he's trying to say is when Jesus was being whipped on the cross he didn't say now I'm, I'm God in the flesh who do you think you are who do you think you are doing this don't you know who I am? No, that's not what Jesus did. He took it. Why? Because it was his portion. Okay? The Bible also says that we'll suffer at times by the hands of evil men for the sake of the gospel. When the Bible talks about suffering, that's what it's talking about. Proponents of people who have a theology that doesn't fit with healing, they say, well, God wants you to be sick so you can suffer. You never see it in Scripture. The suffering that he talks about, and Peter bears it out right here, was persecution from wicked men. But look what he says. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters. This is in verse 10. With all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. Uh, uh, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. That's what Jesus did, right? He suffered wrongfully. 
because he didn't deserve what he got. He said, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? In other words, don't go out and do wrong and then complain that you got in trouble for it and say the devil's after you. No, Peter's trying to say there is a just due penalty for our own stupidity. You do the, the crime, you do the what? Help me somebody. All right. So notice then he says, what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults that you do it patiently? But you do good when you suffer, but if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ Jesus also suffered for us, leaving for us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. For when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. Watch this. For by whose stripes you were healed. Now I want you to see something. Isaiah 53.5 says, by whose stripes you are. Peter says, by whose stripes you were. Now, I don't have a PhD in English, but I can tell you this. Were is past tense. So Isaiah 53 is pointing towards the cross, and Peter is pointing back at the cross. So our, our fundamental truth tonight talks about healing being provided for in the atonement. What's the atonement? The work of the cross. The work of the cross. So it, it's provided for there. So Jesus' healing work pointed to his finished work. Peter said, by whose stripes we were healed. So what's the conclusion then? Healing was paid for on the cross. Now, ultimately, all of God's blessings and in their totalities will fully be realized at the fullness of our redemption. That's when we are in eternal glory. But the truth is, is that when Jesus healed, he healed while he was here. He healed while he was here. He preached, for, he preached and he helped people and, and uh, he did those things. And that's what, that's what we see in the scripture. So, why did I say all that tonight? Why is it important? It's important for us because we need to understand that, that what we believe that is often criticized by people is highly scriptural. Highly scriptural. That when somebody has an ailment and they walk down to the front of the church and they say, Pastor, would you, would you agree with us in prayer? That's not a lack of faith. In fact, it's a demonstration of faith. And I'm about to show you why. See, some people are so spiritual, they never tell anybody when they're sick because they believe the lie that somehow asking for prayer means they don't have any faith. But what's James chapter 5 say? This is the verse I want to close with. In James' epistle, he's talking to believers here. It's the context of the book. James chapter 5, verse 14. Look what he says. Is any sick among you? Who? Believers means it's possible. Let me tell you something. You say, I don't, it's not possible for me to get sick. Well, you sin, and it's possible for you to do that. So it must be possible for you to get sick, okay? So he says, if anybody's sick among you, let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I told you Sunday, oil 
is a type of the Holy Spirit. There's no power in this oil. It's just in what it represents. So we anoint the sick, we put a little bit of oil on them. It's, it's, it's symbolic of what we're praying for. Okay, Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and then look at the next verse. He says, um, and the prayer of what? Faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Isn't it interesting there? The Lord puts forgiveness of sin and, 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 and redemption of sickness in the same verse. You know, that's not the only time he does that. It's all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Peter. We see it in the Gospel of Mark where there's uh, a man who's let down the roof by his friends because there's a great crowd and they can't get to Jesus. And uh, Jesus looked at the man and said, uh, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the, the people who were around in the crowd, the Pharisees, they, they got upset. They thought Jesus had committed blasphemy. He said, uh, who is this man that thinks he can forgive sin? Nobody can for- forgive sin but God. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. Hello, I am he. And then Jesus said, what is easier to say then? Your sins be forgiven or rise up and walk? You see it all tied, intertwined in the scripture. Salvation is a big word. It, it, it means a, a whole bunch of stuff. Sozo, the Greek word. It, it, it's body, soul, spirit, deliverance, soundness, peace. It, it, it literally means to be rescued. It's a big word. But what we see in, in, in James, if there's anybody sick, you're at home, you're sick, listen, call somebody. Now, let me stop here. That doesn't mean you can't pray for yourself. You should pray for yourself. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to get the victory when you're in a lot of pain. So you need a little help. You know, if your battery's weak, you put jumper cables on it, right? That's what you do. If, if, this has always been a great illustration to me. When your battery is dead in your car because your alternators went out or the cold's got it or something, you need to start it, what do you do? You go find a strong battery, right? You put jumper cables from their car onto yours, and in just a few moments, under normal circumstances, you're going to start right back up. That's how you need to view the laying on of hands. Well, they've got to put their hands on me, because the Bible said. Yeah, it's not the only way, it's a way, but, you know, it, it, it's... One believer praying for another believer. The Bible says, if there's any sick among you, let them call. You know what? That's faith. That's faith. Faith. It's not a lack of faith. It's faith. They are making efforts for progress. The Bible tells us to bear one another's burden. Now, it doesn't do us any good to get on the phone and complain about our sickness and compare uh, WebMD notes and you know, well, I had this and you had that, and you, get, you can get way out of faith if you do that. But if you call and say, you know, I'm struggling, would you mind praying for me? Yeah, sure, let's pray together. We join hands or get on the phone and we pray, and, and you know what? We, we can believe God together. Together we can see God do something. So tonight, in conclusion, I want to just close this tonight with this. Healing is in the atonement. Healing was demonstrated in the Old Testament. It was uh, 
fleshed out in the life of Christ. Healing was included in the, in, the, uh, in the Great Commission. Believers were told when they went out and preached the gospel, they were to lay hands on the sick. And then the Holy Spirit, one of his nine gifts is the gifts of healings. So, if anybody says that's not Bible, I gave you a whole bunch of it tonight. And if I'm being extremely honest, we barely even scratched the surface. Because I've taught this for eight, nine weeks before and didn't even finish the subject. Because when you go into all of the covenants of the Old Testament, go into the individualistic miracles of Christ, you see all types of things. And I just want to say this tonight. There's really not anything that God can't handle. Uh, We oftentimes um, categorize things. It's just like sin. And I'm, I'm officially closed. I just want to give you something to think about. And close your Bible. You know, we think about sin, right? We're like, well, you've got stealing a piece of bubble gum over here, and then you've got burning a house down with somebody in it over here. And we're like, well, that's a big sin and that's a little sin. Both of them send you to hell. According to the scripture, we're the ones who categorize and penalize sin, but all sin will separate you from God. Sin is transgression, right? That's what it is. Well, we do the same thing. With, with, with sickness sometimes. Well, I know God can heal a headache, but can he, really, can he really reverse dementia? I mean, can he do that? Well, if he created the brain, he can fix it. Right? And so a lot of times we think, oh, well, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and we, we limit God here. That's why the scripture said, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, you can ask or even imagine. Right? And so when we're praying for people, we, we don't need to put their sickness in a category and say, well, you know, God can do this, but he can't do that. Or this is going to take a lot more faith. No, it only takes a mustard seed. And that's very small. So I just want to encourage you tonight to know why you believe what you believe and to encourage you as a believer, you have just as much Holy Spirit on the inside of your life as anybody else if you're truly saved. Jesus lives inside of you. You've been born again. Listen, you you can pray for people. You don't have to wait till I get back from out of town to take me somewhere to pray for somebody. I'll be glad to go, but your prayer is not more anointed than mine is. That's a Catholic doctrine. We're not priests and laity as they teach. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm teaching you what you believe so when your kids have a fever in the middle of the night, you don't have to call the hotline. You can call uh, uh, the rest of the family into the other room and say, children, let's pray. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. Praise God. Stand up with me. I want to pray for you tonight. If you're sick tonight, I'll pray for you too. Praise God. Or there might be people around that just say, you know what, I want, to, I want to pray with somebody. If you're not feeling well, we want to pray with you. We always want to pray. We want to believe God. We want to believe the best. And you know, I always tell people, you know, if if you're under a doctor's care, don't just stop doing whatever. You do what the doctor's wanting you to do. But you know, if God truly heals you, the doctor will confirm it. We're not scared of science. You're looking at somebody who had a mass medically documented the size of a grapefruit taken out of my left side. It's not there. Got x-rays and scans to prove it. It's been years ago. God can do it. There are people in this room 
who you know without a shadow of a doubt, God did. I've got two children. After the doctor said my wife and I, neither one of us medically could have any. And we didn't do in, in vitro or anything like that. Not knocking it if you did. God did it. I'm telling you, God can do it. So let's pray tonight. If you need prayer, we'll be glad to pray for you. Otherwise, you're dismissed.